are in a battle, a tug of war, a constant struggle. But this is not a battle of politics, a war of nations, or a clash of military powers. This struggle, our struggle, is not against flesh and blood. It is against the powers of darkness that confront us daily. A relentless battle between light and darkness, spirit and flesh. But as one caught in this struggle, you don't have to feel defeated or discouraged. God has made a way to redeem your struggle and give you victory. Are you ready for the battle? So glad you're here this morning. I, I know for some of you it, it takes more effort than others to be here. Maybe to get the kiddos ready or just to get things moving and get out of the house. And uh, whatever brought you here and whatever that looked like, I'm thankful that God brought you here. And I'm thankful that you are here. It's hard to believe it's already December. I don't know about you, but this year seems to just have flown by. This is kind of a fun time of year in general for many people. Lots of holiday activities. A couple of years ago, a newspaper in the British Columbia ran an advertisement for a Christmas fair. Lots of activities for the kids, including this one specific activity here circled. Photos or pictures with, did you see it? Not Santa. <laughs> I'm sure the kids were lining up for this one, right? Well, a very unfortunate typo there. The newspaper actually had to come out the week afterwards and apologize and explain what had happened. I think it's pretty obvious what had happened, just a little typo there, but they felt the need to do that. So we are very careful when we advertise Breakfast with Santa, which is this coming Saturday. We uh, proofread several times on that one to make sure that we are advertising the right thing. But you know, we've actually been talking a lot about Satan in this sermon series on spiritual warfare. And today we, we bring this series to a conclusion, but we recognize that the struggle continues. Spiritual warfare is something that happens, something we're faced with each and every day. The Bible describes it as a struggle. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12, this verse has kind of been the theme verse for this series. Paul writes, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against those spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul says, we are in a struggle. And many of you know that because that is the daily routine. And some days are better than other days, but you know the struggle because you live the struggle. By way of review, let's go back. And let's acknowledge that we are in this struggle, in this daily battle. And where does this battle take place? It takes place in the battleground of our hearts and our minds. That's where we make decisions. That's where we process the lies of Satan. That's where we try to make sense of the world. That's where we establish values, where we choose the path that we're going to take. That's where actions and behaviors are first formed. But that's also where we can take our thoughts captive for Christ. So who is this struggle against? Your neighbor or your coworker with whom you disagree is not your real enemy. The person sitting across the aisle politically from you is not your real enemy. Hollywood, the media, that's not your real enemy. The Bible is very clear about who is on the other end of that rope 
in this spiritual tug of war, trying to pull you, trying to drag you away from God, drag you away from truth. It's the evil one. It's the devil. Satan is real. And he bombards you with his lies and his half-truths, trying to convince you that you should believe what he believes. That you should believe that what is right is actually wrong, and what is wrong is actually good. Satan is throwing deception and lies at you constantly. He's trying to sabotage your peace and remove your salvation. But it's not just the evil one, it's your own flesh, Scripture says. Those primal desires that wage war on your mind, on your heart, that elevate self and selfish desires above all else. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, that trifecta of internal urges, sinful urges that so easily control us. But it's also the world, not the world in the sense of God's good creation or humanity in general, but sinful society that endorses and normalizes wrongdoing, that repackages sin as something that is socially acceptable, even desirable. That's the world in which we live. So how do we defend ourselves against all of these powers of darkness? How do we survive in this struggle? Well, we use the armor of God in Ephesians 6. We arm ourselves with those things that God provides, truth, the truth of his word, the power and the presence of his spirit, the righteousness that comes from Christ. All of those things that God says, here, you put these things on, you make these a part of your life, they will protect you, they will defend you. And if you look closely at scripture, that's what the armor of God is for, to defend us, to protect us from those fiery darts, Scripture says, that come from Satan, so that ultimately we can stand, that we can stand our ground, and as Scripture says, after having done everything, to stand. So what's left to say? The coach has has gathered the team. He's equipped them for the contest. He's gone over the, the game plan, the strategy. He's identified the opponent. He's given them the proper equipment and everything they need for the contest. Now it's time to go out there and play ball, right? But what if the coach was able to assure the team? Before they went out on the field, before they went out on the court, what if the coach was able to assure the team that victory was already secure? What if the coach said in his motivational speech to the team, hey, guess what? I have already seen the outcome. I've seen the final scoreboard, and we win. Well, that would change everything, wouldn't it? That would change the team's approach. That would change their mindset, their attitude, maybe even their strategy. It's the very definition of a game changer. What you need to hear today. What I am confident you need to hear today, what I need to hear today is we face these daily struggles, these struggles that manifest themselves very differently probably for each and every one of us, but struggles that are very real. I'm going to say it right up front. We win. We win. It's no mystery. In fact, I said it in the very first sermon, the very first message in this series, spoiler alert, 
God has won the war against sin, against death, against evil, against Satan, against those dark powers of this world. But you already knew that. Isn't that why you're here? Isn't that what draws you toward Jesus, toward truth? Isn't that what moves you to want to know more about him, to want to follow him? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 57, But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul double down, doubles down on the very true reality, important reality, that God has won the war, that God is victorious because of what God did through Jesus at the cross in the empty tomb, ironically, the very moment that Satan thought he won the war, God used to conquer sin and death and to bring us victory. If you are with Jesus, you are on the winning side. The Lord is fighting for you, and he gives you absolute victory through Jesus Christ. But, but, while we know that's the final chapter we also know that the story continues to unfold in our lives, in our world, as we live in this fallen world. The context of that passage, of that glorious victory announcement in 1 Corinthians, is Paul talking to Christians about life and about what happens after this life. He says our bodies need to be changed. They need to be changed so they'll be ready for what is next. Our bodies are perishable, he says. I went to the doctor this past week for my annual checkup. Every time I go to the doctor, I'm reminded that our bodies are perishable, that our bodies are declining. But in this unmatched moment, this unmatched moment when Christ returns, our bodies will be transformed. They will be transformed and victory will be claimed. Look at the verses around that passage in 1 Corinthians 15. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. We are all going to die or witness Jesus' return in the flesh. And when that happens, the final victory chant will reverberate throughout eternity. Victory in Jesus. Sin will no longer poison us or our world. Sickness will no longer plague us or our world. Separation, the ultimate death, separation from God, will no longer be a viable threat. But that's out there. That's in the future. This is now. And while we are on this side of eternity, we are still left to live in this dark world a world plagued by the forces of evil. Yes, the war has been won. Victory has been declared. But the battle rages on every day. 
You see, the world has not yet fully been redeemed. As we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done. And as we, as God's people, as the church, try to embody that prayer and make that happen, bringing the kingdom of God here even to earth, the reality is it hasn't fully happened yet. In fact, John tells us in 1 John chapter 5, verse 19, that we know that we are children of God, but he doesn't stop there. What else does he say? He says, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Wait a second, John, you just sort of slipped that in there. What do you mean the whole world is under the control of the evil one? We thought God was in control of everything. Isn't God control of this world? Well, yes and no, maybe. Yes, God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. God can intervene in this world in any moment in time and change the course of history, change the world. How do we know that? Because we know and we've seen that he's done it. And at the same time, at least for now, God has allowed the evil one, referred to by Jesus as the prince of this world, or some versions say the ruler of this world in John chapter 14, God has allowed him to have some level of influence in this world, at least on a temporary basis. And if you're like me, you ask a very simple question, and that is, why? Why? God, why do you allow Satan to exist? Why do you allow the devil to be here and to have some level of influence in this world? I feel like that's a fair question. Boy, that's a big question. It's a big question, a difficult question to answer. And the Bible doesn't really tell us directly, but, but maybe it's because the light of the Lord shines most brightly when there is darkness for contrast. Maybe it's evil that provides the best platform for God's mercy, for his justice, for his grace, for his wisdom to be seen. And we could say so much more, and we could explore this question for, for endless amounts of conversations in time. But one thing is clear, one thing we all would agree on, and that is that evil exists in our world. That there is the evil one who is active opposing the will of God and the way of Jesus. We would all agree that life is sometimes a struggle. And we all know that, not because someone told us that, but because we live it and we witness it every day. And that's why Paul quickly follows up this great declaration of victory in Jesus with this encouragement back in 1 Corinthians 15. The very next verse, verse 58, Therefore, what did he say before that? Because we have victory through Jesus Christ, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Paul says, stand firm. Let nothing move you. It's the same directive that Paul gives us in Ephesians when he presents the armor of God. Do you remember what he said, Ephesians 6, 13? Therefore, put on this armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to do what? To stand, to stand your ground. And after have, you have done everything, to stand. You see, the day of victory is coming. No doubt about it. And as faithful believers, 
in God and in his son, Jesus Christ, we declare that reality. The day of victory is on the horizon. It is coming. But these, these days, these days are the days of evil. They are here. What does he say? So that when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. So be ready. Stand firm. Stand with Jesus now in the struggle so that you can stand with Jesus in victory. That word stand here literally means withstand, to resist, to oppose. And the best way to withstand evil is to stand with Jesus. So what do you need to know? What do you need to know as you put this armor on, as you, as you engage in this daily struggle? What do you need to know to help you stand firm with him? For that answer, we, we go back to Romans. Romans chapter 8, the passage that we read earlier in this series. One of our challenges was to read that chapter every day. It's such a rich, theological, deep, and practical chapter. We go back to Romans chapter 8, and Paul writes this starting in verse 31. He says, what then shall we say in response to all these things? What things, Paul? Well, before that, he's talking about all the persecutions, all the sufferings, all the, all the darkness that happens that we are a part of in this world. All of these things that, that God wants to lift us up above. He says, what shall we say in response to all these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. What you need to know as you engage in this struggle, as you arm yourself with the truth of God's word, with the spirit of God, what you need to know is that God is for you. God is for you. When Paul says, if God is for us, it's not a question. It's not a hypothetical thing. It's not saying, what if God was for us? He is saying in the most declarative way he can, since God is with and for you. Since God is for you, God is in your corner. He has your back. As Moses was gathering the Israelite people after bringing them out of Egypt, they were unsure, they were uncertain, they were unsteady. They're moving across in the middle of nowhere, and they look up and they find themselves surrounded on every side by their enemies and opposition and obstacles. And they start complaining. They let the fear get the best of them. And they start saying, we should have never left. We should go back. What's going to happen? And it's Moses, God speaking through Moses, who says this, Exodus 14, do not be afraid. Stand firm. Huh, sounds familiar, doesn't it? Stand firm and you will see the deliverance the Lord will bring you today. The Egyptians you see today, you will never see again. The Lord will fight for you. You need only be still. Moses says, look around. Yeah, the enemy is closing in. Yes, there are obstacles in front of us. But take heart. Be still and just stand in the presence and the power of God because God is fighting for you. 
think the same is said to you today. The Lord fights for you. He wants to lead you into victory. So stand strong. Be still. Stop running around so frantically. Stop worrying so much. Stop letting doubt get the best of you. Stop trying to prove your own worthiness. Stop trying to control everything. Stop complaining. Stop looking inward and start looking upward because God is for you. How do we know that? How do we know God is for us? Look back at verse 32. Because he did not spare his own son, but gave him up. Gave his own son for you. If God wasn't for you, he wouldn't have given up his son. If you have a child, would you give up your child? No. It shows, it proves, it bears witness to the reality that God is for you. He's looking out for you. He cares deeply for you. God gave his own son to secure your victory over sin and over death. That's why Jesus went to the cross. That's why he gave up his life. So when you find yourself thrown into the middle of suffering, when you find yourself face to face with opposition with the enemy, when you find yourself in temptation that seems overbearing, and you remember, you remember the cross, and you be reminded of a truth that far outweighs anything that you face, that God is for you. John Mark Hicks, it's a, a different John Mark. I've, I've quoted John Mark Comer a few times through this series. Much of his information was very informative in this series, but a different John Mark, John Mark Hicks, was a minister who lost his wife early on in their marriage, early on in, in her life. He wrote a book about grief that has been extremely helpful to, to me and to others. And I remember one quote from that book, and I've shared it before, maybe you've heard it, but it's so profound. Here's what he said. He said, I can stand beside the coffin of my wife and I can doubt God's love. And many of you can relate to that, those big questions. Where are you, God? Why did you allow this? Do you really love us? Are you really for us? But he continues there, but I cannot kneel at the foot of the cross in doubt. I can look around at my circumstances. I can see the darkness coming in. I can walk drag myself to the valley of the shadow of death and I can doubt God's love and I can doubt that he is for me but when I clear all that away and I simply kneel at the foot of the cross it's unmistakable it's undeniable God is for me evil takes a lot of different forms but to be able to withstand to stand in the struggle you first need to kneel at the foot of the cross and know beyond a doubt that God is for you. We continue in Romans chapter 8, verse 35. He asks another question. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. He quotes from Psalm 44. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced 
that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all the creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Not only do you need to be assured that God is for you, you need to know that God is with you. God is with you. Nothing can separate you from God and from God's love. Nothing you have done, nothing this world throws at you, no attack by the evil one, no tragedy you've experienced, nothing in all of creation will be able to separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Do you believe that? Do you find peace in that? Notice what he says. He says, not even these dark things, not even death, demons, powers, those things cannot, without your consent, pull you away from the love of God, from his provision and his protection. Please hear that profound truth and find peace, peace that passes understanding for your struggle, knowing that God is with you, that he's always with you. In a few weeks, the world will celebrate this fact with different ways of doing it, probably with different motives. The world will celebrate the incarnation of Jesus. What is at the heart of the incarnation? What is the true message of the manger? That the word became flesh and dwelt with us. That God cares so much that he walked among us. I think the message version says that he, that he moved into our neighborhood. He didn't just move into our neighborhood. Through his spirit, he indwells us. God is with us. Nothing can remove his love for, for you. He doesn't leave you alone in the struggle. His love goes with you. His power is available to you through his spirit who comforts you and guides you. And with our powerful and loving God at our side, what does he say that we are? What do we become? Verse 37, we are more than conquerors. Conquerors, that's a good word. What do you envision when you hear that word conqueror? You, you envision someone standing, don't you? Standing in victory, maybe an army general. Someone who has won the battle. He says you're more than conquerors. This phrase means to, to overpower in victory. To go beyond conquest, it means a decisive victory. No matter what comes at you in life, you can have a decisive victory knowing that God is with you. God is for you. God is with you. And so the challenge this week, every message in this series, we've tried to end with a practical challenge, a takeaway, something you can do. Here's the challenge. It's pretty simple. Tell yourself these two things at least three times every day. Can you do that? Maybe set a reminder on your phone that goes off. Maybe at mealtimes it's just a part of the mealtime routine. But tell yourself these two statements, simple statements, at least three times every day. You see, the, the reality is we listen to ourselves a lot. We listen to those voices inside of us that doubt, 
those voices of fear. We listen to those voices that say, this isn't right, or this is wrong, or you shouldn't, or you don't deserve, or you're entitled to, or we listen to ourselves a lot, but how often do we really talk to ourselves? And I don't, you know, that kind of has a negative connotation. You know, they kind of talk to themselves. We need to talk to ourselves. There's things we need to tell ourselves because we believe so much of what we hear, we need to start telling ourselves. And here's what you need to tell yourself, that God is for you, that God is with you. What if you really believe that? How would that change how you interacted with people during your day? How would that change how you make decisions during your day? How would that change where you go, what you do, how you speak, what you do with your resources? And that could be a game changer, right? But we forget that. We forget that God is really for us, that God is with us. We think we're on our, on our own. We think we have to navigate this, this life on our own. So tell yourself, maybe multiple times throughout the day, maybe print it out, put it on your mirror, put it in your, on your car dash, put it on your desk, God is for me, God is with me. And, and if you want to take it a step farther, if you want to get a like gold star on your chart for doing the assignment, what if you told this to someone else? Not only is God for me, God is with me, but what if you told someone else who really needs to hear this, hey, you need to know that, that God is for you. He's not against you. And, and that God is with you. Maybe you could speak a word of blessing into someone else's life. God is for you. God is with you. Some of you may remember Dean Niles. He was, he was one of our shepherds here for, for many years. Just a Wonderful man, humble-hearted man, a man of integrity, a man who loved missions. He would often go on mission trips. He was an educator most of his life, and after he retired, he, was, he just poured himself into the church, into mission work, into just such a blessing. He died a couple of years ago. It's hard to believe it's already been a couple of years. At the age of, I think, 95, maybe 96, he was in his mid-90s. And I remember a story the family shared as we celebrated his life. They said that Dean fought in World War II. One of his jobs was to, to dig the foxholes for him and for the other soldiers on the front lines. And he said one day he was in one of those foxholes and he was sort of resting from, from digging and just resting from everything that was happening. And he said he kind of raised up to stretch a little bit. And when he raised up to stretch... Suddenly, he heard this bullet just whiz by his head. He heard it, and he felt the heat as it torpedoed by him, uncomfortably close to his head, and he went back down into the foxhole. And then from that moment on, even until much later in his life, when people asked Dean, how did you survive the war? How did you make it? How did you do it? You know what he said? He simply said this, I dug deeper holes. That was his response. I dug deeper holes. <laughs> How practical. In our daily spiritual battles, we need to be wise. We need to be discerning. Sometimes we need to dig deeper holes. 
We need to protect ourselves. We need to put on the armor of God. Use whatever language you want to, whatever metaphor is helpful. But the reality is we need to make choices that draw us toward truth, that move us toward Jesus, that stand and withstand. Stand with Jesus, withstand the evil one. There are things we can do to be wise and discerning. To counter the lies of Satan. To act and respond, not to satisfy the flesh, but to live according to the Spirit. To surround ourselves with with positive influences, the people around us. And we need to know, you need to know, that victory has been secured. That God has won the war against sin, against Satan, against evil, against death, against anything that might threaten your salvation, threaten what matters most. And you need to be assured that God is for you, that God is with you. If we can encourage you in this struggle, let us do that. We'd love to pray for you today. Or maybe today you're ready to surrender your life to Jesus. You know that God is for you, that God is with you. You want to be with him. You want the spirit to indwell you. You're ready to give your life to him, to surrender to him in faith and baptism. Do that today. If there's something we can do, we invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand together. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from